and welcome to Aerial Evolution. I'm Rowan. And I'm Jane. With us today is Melissa Kulilu, an aerialist choreographer and aerial coach who has worked around the world with many different companies, including, but not limited to, Cirque Faust, Cirque du Soleil, and the National Circus School in Montreal. This was a fun evolution for the podcast because Melissa had sent us a message on Facebook after the first episodes aired. We looked her up and immediately thought, oh my God, we have to interview her. So we mean it when we say, if you like what you hear and want to join in on the discussion, find us on Instagram or Facebook at Aerial Evolution Pod. We would really love to hear from you. And if you want more info on what was discussed, make sure to check out the links in the show notes. All right, let's get started. Hi, Melissa. Hi, nice to meet you. <laughs> it is so lovely to meet you. And thank you so much for reaching out to us. When Rowan shared your message with me, I was like, oh my God, that's so incredible. Yeah, so nice. <laughs> so excited. That was a lovely surprise. So we want to just get started with your personal story of how you came to be an aerialist. What drew you to this crazy world of aerial and circus that we are all in? Yeah, cool. Okay, so I discovered Ariel when I was in high school. So I was probably in 1989. I did some diving. I really enjoyed diving, actually. I do like acrobatic, but I'm not an acrobat on the floor. I get quite scared of the floor. And so diving was quite satisfying because it was doing some movement in the air and uh, something happened with the teacher blah 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 and I kind of felt a bit oh looking for something else I always liked dance but then I just finally fled trapeze school trapeze classes and I was like what's that and so I went in and that was it I was hooked. The only thing I would talk about was like my little trapeze. And even in my high school book, they talk about, oh, Melissa and her trapeze. And so in Quebec, the scholarship goes from high school. Then you have two years pre-university, which is called a CEGEP. And that time for me to make choices of which school and what I would like to do. So I auditioned for the National Circus School here in Montreal. And when I did the audition, I remember at the interview, she said, well, why don't you come like a week? We have this program to increase your level. And so you could get a bit more acrobatic level and stuff. And I remember answering, no, I don't want to do that. I just want to dive in. That's what I want to do. Like, I've got no time to lose. And they took me. I think they took me for that. I was already committed and already had passion for it. And so I went to the National Circus School for 92 to 95, which was a good learning, hard work, especially into the all the acrobatic. The first year I didn't have trapeze because the first year was more of a general program. And I remember getting hook to trapeze. I don't say I didn't care about the acrobatic on the floor, but maybe because I was a level under and that it made me feel like my thing was 
the trapeze. And when it was time to go and dive into my speciality, I went into swinging trapeze and dance trapeze. And when I said that to the school, they said, oh, dance trapeze, what's that? And so, because the little trapeze school that I used to go had a few dance trapeze, because one of the teachers had done a workshop. So it was there, it was like those bulky side trapeze, like really big and soft. And the ropes were more like climbing ropes, more so than a trapeze tree ply rope. And so when I went to the circus school, I said, I would like to do some dance trapeze. And they were like, oh, and I said, I want to work low to the floor. And I decided to put like three ply the rope. And so I made like a root trapeze into a triangle trapeze. And I added the swivel. That's when I decided. Because at the circus school at the time, there was already some people performing on Lara, Cerceau, with a swivel. So I said, oh, just like that, kind of the same rigging, but with the triangle trapeze. Why did you decide to do that? Because you hadn't seen anything like that before, correct? No, but because I did like static trapeze a lot, and I just wanted to be able to use the rope more like a trapeze, which wasn't used like that, the other trapeze, because the ropes were like 10.5 mil, you know, those climbing ropes, they burned, they're quite hard to hold on to. And so I wanted to adapt from the static trapeze to the dance trapeze. And I wanted to dance. So like my trapeze was a meter from the floor. Uh, It still is my favorite height is a meter from the floor. And yeah, I, I think I enjoy a lot of the contact of the floor. I didn't use any up and down. Uh, I guess at the time it was it could have been an option but I didn't dig into that and then yeah using more like static trapeze technique that I've learned into mixing that with the feeling of the floor and the spinning basically. One of the things that we're really curious about is this way in which one form has then helped develop the other of the relationship between traditional circus, contemporary circus, and then aerial dance. And since you went to a traditional circus school, but then started gravitating in this very exploratory way, was curious of your personal connection to those different areas. Yeah, totally. Um, I would say Montreal is quite traditional in terms of its circus space but more and more it's quite open to contemporary circus and any idea development even when I was there actually and I think I was there in a good year because there was a lot of new apparatus came up in my year I remember there was Brigitte Chirard she did like a tree rope like a tree loop rope static and there was another woman called Stéphanie Gasparoli who did like double trapeze it's not rope but it's a bar and then she has another trapeze underneath and I did the dance trapeze and the three of us were in the same year and we kind of came up I think that at the time it was quite flourishing into digging into ideas you had and you could access I guess gear and good teacher to develop ideas 
because it sounds like your class was really pioneering a lot of different Mm-mm. ways of using apparatus and Mm-mm. and style. And when we talked to Fred, it was her class doing that as well. Was that at the same time? And were you aware of each other? And were Europeans coming in? And was that influencing what you were doing? I think totally was influencing what we were doing. Definitely me personally. I, after the circus school, I went and did like a year training in Montreal with André Simard, which is a very strong swinging trapeze um, teacher. He developed the technique a lot, actually. Him and Victor Fomin. And so I trained with Victor Fomin and we did an act on a triple strapeze. There was four girls. We were four on a triple strapeze. And then we presented to the Festival du Cercle de Main in Paris. And from that festival, we had a few gigs in Europe and I ended up staying in Europe. So I left in like 1996. I remember leaving for like a three months contract and I came back to Montreal to actually stay here. 24 years later which was a year ago yeah so I'm really grateful actually my pad brought me there because my pairs at the circus school end up working for Cirque du Soleil I feel like I've got loads of different experience and and different kind of environment of different kind of performances small big big tours small tours I did discover a lot through my experiences and I believe if I would have stayed in Montreal I probably would have liked and maybe worked with Soleil and then would have done like the same kind of performances and the same kind of creation the same kind of where I feel quite lucky that actually I had totally another path and it was very rich yeah during all that time were there specific performance experiences that really stand out like do you have a favorite that you were able to do Les Arceaux was a very strong moment of my career and my path to where I am today as well as a creator as well. Um, so Les Arceaux was a French company that did only trapeze. So it was only a, it was an aerial show based on flying trapeze. But there was other stuff. Fred Beb actually was in Les Arceaux, the very beginning of the company. And it was a collective, which meant that everybody would have the same position in the company there was not necessarily a director though we worked with artistic director when we created the show but it was more about bouncing back ideas and not just about you do this and you do that it was more about adding an outside eye to help the direction and everybody get the same amount of money like everybody did the get in the get out even the musician if they couldn't lift heavy stuff they would cook uh, there was the kids there was a the teacher it was a, it felt like a family it felt like home and the show was pretty amazing I think I really loved performing it it was a massive structure it was a bubble so it was an inflated tent and people would come in and sat into a deck chair to watch the show 
And it was a big tank. It was a thousand seats. And we toured the world. And it was at the time as well in France, especially where the culture was very supportive. And then so from that experience, a few of us created Cirque Vos, which is an aerial circus in France. I'm not part of it anymore, though my heart is still there. And we did like a few big creations too. Same thing with the deck chair and show up and all in the air. And so that's very precious to me as well because, well, I've created it. There was five of us. Now there's like 15 people in the show. It was pretty awesome, like what we get to do. And I did two of the big show. And the second one was my project in terms of many years ago, I worked with a company in Australia that, that was called Bambuco. So they did massive bamboo structure and I did trapeze of the bamboo structure. And so with Sephos, we created like a massive structure of 17 meters of bamboo. And day one, you come, there's nothing. We had a truck full of 300 bamboo and then we built a massive structure and we did a trapeze on it or flying trapeze. So a bit of everything, I think. That was for me one of the big achievement because it was a, a beautiful piece of art really because it was a structure a sculpture but then at the same time we get super fun on it so yeah That's so cool yeah, yeah. and I, I love how you talk about the the collaborative sort of nature that you got to enjoy it's really beautiful it's a bit more developed in Europe than here I've been back like a good year in, in Montreal, work at Sud Soleil, and then I'm directing another project. But things here uh, are just a bit more set in terms of like creative as well. Like I do the lights, I do the costume, I do the, and it's like not mixing much also in between the, there is, don't get me wrong, but it's in France, it feels like it was much more of a, okay, embrace what we're doing what what do we do and there was a bit more of a bounce back and how we do things but I guess this is only my experience so far here because I wouldn't say it's not like that here in North America but it's definitely more people have their position and quite all done as well to their position or their role title <laughs> yeah is there a big stylistic difference as well between Europe and Montreal or Canada? Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah, I find in Europe you have much more of a smaller company because of the funding, probably because there's so many companies in Europe and can do culture without being lucrative. It's a possibility, like you often can manage to get a little help funding or the system as an artist in France makes you have an income that's quite minimal, but you can live on that. Where here, the culture has to be lucrative. Like theatre as well, who buys the show in France don't necessarily have to make profit on buying your show. Of course, they have to make an income but they don't necessarily have to make profit we're here everything needs to be profitable so it makes a huge difference on the possibility of what we can do and how we do things 
yeah, definitely. So one of the things that you reached out and talked about was a little bit of your personal history, but then also sort of looking at and thinking about the development of the history of Ariel just in general, going back to your experience first in the circus school, were there specific things that people would make a point to teach or how exactly was that communicated? I guess I had a few strong teacher in my experiences. And the first one was Marie-Thérèse. She was the one who had the circus school, the, the trapeze school. And it was called Le And she was interested in Ariel only. And that's why she did that little trapeze school that unfortunately doesn't exist anymore. But we could do some static trapeze. We could do some swinging trapeze, but it was very low. So it was kind of a small swing and there was a dance trapeze that's where I discovered the dance trapeze and she was all about Ariel and she was quite classic in her style and I guess she gave me that little sense of that pointing your toe is a good thing and although today I don't think it's necessarily a good thing but it's good to have a good um, foundation totally and she really uh, gave me that and I remember telling her stories so she did like trippies on the hot hair balloons and her husband would say well if you do that you have to put the lunch like I won't let you risk your life and she was telling me I just just do like a little fake nut so I knew it was not holding me and she had this like <laughs> she was fierce and she was like very inspiring and then at the National Circus School, I worked with André Simard and Victor Fomin. Actually, I worked with Victor Fomin afterwards. And André, that swinging trapeze technique, and how they developed uh, the swinging trapeze was André made, they kind of both at the same time. Victor was in Russia and André was in Montreal. And André's gymnast background that arrived at Cirque du Soleil at the very, very beginning and kind of put this biomechanic knowledge into doing stuff with the swinging trees, which worked. And then Victor came in Montreal with having kind of the same development in Russia. And they both knew each other existed and they kind of bounced back ideas and stuff. And then when Victor came to Montreal, he kind of changed the technique again and again. And even now, every time you go into Victor's studio, the tempos are different, the trapeze is heavier, and, and the tricks are bigger, and the technique just grows and grows um, because of their knowledge and because he adapts. He thinks a lot about it and then put more weight for it to be slower, to have more time to do a trick. And therefore, the technique has been very, very evolutive in the five years, 10 years. The difference is massive. And, and so I guess that was that's part of the, especially on the swing trapeze part, it's a big uh, development and knowledge. But I'm not sure I answer your question, really. <laughs> no, you did. And, and, and then while you were talking, I, I, my brain went in a different place. I loved hearing you talk about in your answer was, you know, sort of acknowledging the evolution of the different parts of the art form. I'm curious, back when you, you know, sort of first fell in love with the trapeze and then first started collaborating with the different people in the different companies, 
did you have an idea of how exciting and how big it was going to get to be? No, but I think I work a lot by instinct. I trust my instinct and I think I hopefully will always do, which keeps me luckily on a good track. And I encountered good people through following that. And I've got the, the feeling that when things like, for example, Les Arceaux or Creating Vost or even even other shows I did that, you know, when you're doing something that it's special, there's something, um, but it's only afterwards that when you look back and you go, oh, yeah, we, we did it, like kind of feeling. Yeah, I think um I think trusting my instinct and being able to to share and collaborate served me loads into achieving stuff I'm proud and satisfied of. Yeah, that's great. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. I was reading before we jumped on say the Sydney Morning Herald, you were talking about how aerial and trapeze isn't natural. Like it's something that isn't a normal thing to do, which I agree. I mean, it's an extreme thing that we're all doing. When we talked to Fred Deb for her, when we asked her like how and why this became such a popular thing for her, she's like, oh, it's, it's natural. It's normal. Like humans want to fly and go in the sky. And here you have the exact opposite take, which I think is wonderful. So I'm curious if you can explain your position on it and also why you think it has become so popular. I don't think it's natural in the sense that you have to fight for it. You have to hurt for it. It does hurt. People don't realize that. Nobody would go and see a trapeze show, sit down, enjoy and go, ah, they must suffer. No, nobody thinks about that. We avoid people thinking about that by trying to make it flow and making food or whatever. But And it does hurt loads. Yeah, muscle, skin. And so, therefore, I don't think it's natural. I think you have to go into a fight. You have to have this kind of fierce feeling of achievement to be able to go wherever you want to go if you want to go more traditional and more acrobatically or if you want to go more fluid and more dancey and both ways you have to really work super hard in comparison with like dance dancing is more natural baby dance baby move around and children do and therefore I think if we don't break that connection as adults as well we still have that joyful feeling or that good sensation of moving your body and then when you bring it to an aerial which is like harness work as well really really hurt so it's <laughs> so there's that plus feeling that you have to fight for something so in that sense, for me, it is not a natural thing. And then I guess you could be natural into being a warrior and then embracing that to develop it. And why do I think it's becoming more and more popular? I think the focus has been much more in the 
last 10 years, like it's a bit more democratized. Like you can see Arab performance in big shows, the big ceremony, the opera. So it's more part of the culture, especially in France. You have small circus school everywhere. You would have dance. Like children choose an activity. They go for judo, they go for dance, or they can go for circus. That's like in every little town and so therefore the people developing and wanted to be an artist through those mediums is just more and more so for me that's a good reason why it's so much more popular people are more active than what 25 years ago probably like mid-age group is much more active than we used to see I mean I remember my parents being active but not really you know they didn't really take any sport which now in the 40s people are doing activities and sports and yoga and people are much more craving activity and pushing their limits as well like running it's becoming so popular I think Ariel you get that kind of same feeling of you are able to push your limits through that training and those sensation basically like once you discover it, it's quite addictive too. So you want to do more and then you reach a bit more, a bit more. And then the pain starts to go away. And, and then again, it goes into another cycle. So I think that's one of the big reasons. I do lots of double trapeze when I didn't in the last few years. But for me, double trapeze or, or even like working on a harness with someone else is a very, very uh, fearful and special relation it's very very intimate and it's very strong you kind of trust each other with your life at some point oh yeah for me it's so important and I cherish those relations they're for me they're part of who I am totally because of my partners my trapeze partners through my life yeah it's funny because I was listening to a previous podcast and I think Lydia was saying um Instagram made it a huge difference. But for me, I'm not so much social media, although I do look at it a little, but I'm not very active on it. For me, it's, oh, I was really surprised. I was like, oh, really? <laughs> but yeah, I guess it is. Rowan had mentioned you were starting to work on possibly creating a aerial dance festival or an aerial festival of your own. Um, yes. Would you mind sharing some of that yeah. development with us? Okay, it's really, the, the, we just planted this seed, basically, and we're trying to uh, develop something here in Montreal for um, next summer, 2021. So I'm not alone in that project. There is uh, Sophie Oldfield, which is an old friend of mine that lives in Montreal, and Sarah Poole, who um, actually uh, Chantal mentioned Sarah Poole in your podcast. It's funny how Montreal is such a strong circus city community like this level of the circus is so high and it's quite a creative hub and there's lots of things happening and dance as well there's a big dance strong contemporary dance community and the link's not really been done yet it feels like like the aerial dance versatile aerial dance is very little there's not much development with it here in Montreal I've got a feeling some people may say oh well it's not really circus there's that feeling of being a, a multidisciplinary thing and therefore it's not yet uh, very developed and I'm very curious about that and, and more and more I'm more interested in 
and less technique and more of the movement and the piece as a as a whole more so than like I was saying to Rowan the other day it's like I don't really care anymore if you put your head on your bum unless it serves the flow and the piece itself or the theatrality of where you're going more so than the technique as an end basis that's one of the big reasons why developing something like this here in Montreal is for me important and would definitely contribute to the community and the big city of dance and circus like I, I did dance trophies because I love dancing and I love the suspension and that gravity feeling of spinning and being slightly lift off the floor so yeah I really hope it's gonna go somewhere and that people would respond to it cross fingers I believe that people are also craving more of that in terms of democratization of like more theatrical and more arty shows that people do want to go and see smaller shows as well and not necessarily a big production that the market in a way is there for that Prior to deciding to take on a festival of your own, did you also participate in festivals in Europe? Actually, no. I've worked with Chantal and Lindsay. We performed together with Scarabius Theatre, which is an aerial dance company. I worked with Ramon as well, which is a French um, aerial vertical dance company. But no, I've not. Actually, it's really because I've always quite been busy and not being able to to go yeah and they sound awesome so that's why it's like it's a full inspiration and it's also building a community of, of those practices and we want to try to do some vertical dance but we want to do dance trapeze or some rope or tissue but with an approach of looking into choreography and or movement and applying your technique for your choreography for your movement and not applying technique to be a strong technique. As we've been doing this, the festivals were not something that was very known to me. And now it seems like every time we talk to someone, I've got another place in the world where I'm like, well, I'm going to go there too. (laughs) (laughs) They sound just so wonderful. And Mm. community is a large part of why I do this because I've just found the most amazing and wonderful welcoming people through Ariel. And It's unlike anything else, and it's just Mm. so supportive and lovely, and I can't think of a better place than a festival, so... I wish you the yeah. best of luck with it. Oh, yeah. yeah, thank you. <laughs> yeah, cross fingers. Is it something where you would require a minimum experience going into it, or is it open for anybody who's interested? How are you putting that together? I think we're going to put it for everybody who's interested in it and then do a few classes depending on levels. We also really want to have an inclusivity for the disabled community as well to open that up because we all feel that there's such a path in that inclusivity and that totally ability to do it for all bodies that it's not a formal traditional bodies only they can do aerial and so yeah we're gonna do 
hopefully I have a few levels and depending on your your level and probably able to have a few choices on identities or vertical apparatus like robot tissue and, and then walls of vertical dance and probably also counterweighting being in a harness playing in a harness without the wall as well what those movements can bring and what games and choreography would come out of that are you planning on having sort of a balance between teaching and performance for the first year it's going to be only teaching as the first goal we're going to just do a four or five days event and then eventually though that's the goal is to go into performances or work in progress and a platform for people to be able to share their practice and their work definitely hopefully hopefully that the covid and the lockdowns will ease up and yeah it's not been an easy time it has not but it did lead to podcasts so that is yeah it's true actually and i find the resilience in artists is so important I do feel that for me, resilience and through my life always brought such strong uh, moment and creativity that it is a source of inspiration and it does lead to new projects, new ideas. I don't think I would have gone into uh, creating an aerial dance festival if it was not of the pandemic. So yeah, there is definitely good things happening. Well, thank you so much for writing us and yes. making us aware of you and your amazing <laughs> contribution to Ariel. And My pleasure. That's me. That's what I do, Ariel. I uh, love it. That's the thing after, what, 35 years. It's been, like, I wouldn't change that ever. <laughs> do you feel like you love it more than when you first started or the same? The same, the same. I think I never lost. Like I was hardcore. I like I had kids, but I I stopped while I was pregnant because I had a miscarriage before. So I was quite scared when I was pregnant. But I gave birth of my second child on tour because we were touring with Chuck Ross and my partner in the show. And like I always was committed to the show, and like I wouldn't miss the show even if I was fully pregnant. So I gave birth on tour, and I started after like my kids were. 12 weeks and then I was like started training to be back in the show and I always like even when they were young I would go away to work because it's me it's like always been a quite important part of who I am I get scared sometimes about like oh what if I'm not I remember going when I was like hitting my 40 and um, my mom would say well now it's gonna be over what why (laughs) (laughs) no it's me (laughs) so it's it's that thing of yeah sometimes like oh what what would be my identity if it's not there anymore Mm. and it is a bit less and less in a way because I'm performing much much less and although I don't feel I can say I've stopped performing and I'm doing much more uh, choreography, aerial choreography and direction. It's the same. Even sometimes I do get slightly, mm, I'm going to go and do it. <laughs> like, <laughs> that feeling of, oh, I still want to be on stage. But um, yeah, it's, it's who we are, I guess. Once you hit that, that 
Ariel Button, then you. <laughs> There's no undo on that one. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> Even after 40 plus. <laughs> that's, that's amazing. Yeah. Are your kids into Ariel? Not at all. Yeah, I always find that fascinating. I didn't offer it to them like strongly either. I think I didn't want to impose it. It's just like if they want, they can raise their hand and they know we can offer it. But uh, my partner, my boyfriend, they're bigger. So that's another relationship that's really important into the Ariel life. <laughs> that's yeah. a nice one to have in your family. <laughs> yeah. It's quite common, actually, in a way. We have a few friends that are like an Arielist and a rigger. Working in France as well, and the path I had, I went into reading quite quickly. I liked it, but it was quite necessary. You had to read your own things. With the kind of gig I did at the very start, like when I left Montreal, I did circus cabaret, and then I went into traditional circus, full-on traditional circus. And you you had to rig, you had to do everything. We did six months with no day off. Six months, no day off, like... Whoa, I was 20 years old. I would never do that again. <laughs> it was so, so hard. I'm cold, but we did. I can't remember how many shows we did in six months. It was crazy. You did only your act, but still you had to do everything. So I had to dig into rigging, but I like it. If we offered the Aerial Dance Festival, definitely would have a rigging course. Minimal, but I do think if you offer Aerial to someone... You need to offer the how-to basic to be safe and respectful of those techniques. Yeah, I think it's so important. That's keeping you alive. So you should know just the basics at minimum. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. And not so you get so excited that you go out and do something really detrimental to yourself in your your exuberance. Yeah. Mm -hmm. For sure. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Thanks. Bye. 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 Thanks so much for tuning into this episode of Aerial Evolution. On our next episode, we will have Elsie Smith and Serenity Smith Frashon, aerialists and founders of Nimble Arts and NECA. And we would love to hear from you. If you have questions or comments about this episode, come and find us on Instagram or Facebook at Aerial Evolution Pod. And both those links will be in the show notes as well. And stay tuned for future episodes with other amazing aerialists releasing every two weeks. Until next time.